0: Hey, everyone. Welcome into another edition of the Woj Pod. I'm joined by ESPN senior writer Baxter Holmes, who today has published on ESPN.com a significant story on the Phoenix Suns, their majority owner, Robert Sarver, and what is detailed, uh, according to Baxter's reporting over 70 interviews with current former Suns employees, The painting of a disturbing picture of conduct by the owner, by those in senior management. That includes allegations of racism, racist language, inappropriate and misogynistic language, and a culture of fear and intimidation. Baxter, good to have you here with me today as this story publishes. Take the readers through. They can see the story. It's been up on ESPN.com, but take us through really, I think, you know, the key elements of your reporting and what was obviously a very involved, detailed probe into Robert Sarver
1: and his 17-year run as the Suns' owner. Thank you. Well, first of all, thanks for, for having me, Woj. I appreciate it. Um, you touched on something there that I think is important to kind of start with, and that's that. 17 years, uh, a 17 year run. And, and I would note off the top in talking to staffers from the entire uh, period of those 17 years that the stories that they would share about the kind of things that they would see, the nature of, uh, and you touched on them there on the nature of some of these allegations, you know, touching on racism, touching on misogyny, touching on a, a hostile workplace uh, led by fear Led by intimidation, retaliation, things of this nature. Uh, it was, it, you know, people from throughout the entire organization at virtually every level that you can imagine. As you mentioned, 70 interviews or interviews with uh, 70 current and former staffers in virtually every department uh, you can imagine. And the stories were uh, uh, really emphasized how there wasn't a single part of the organization that was immune to this type of behavior and this, and this type of conduct. It was really very widespread, and again, over a very long period of time, uh, basically since he came in.
0: Baxter, your story begins with a scene involving Robert Sarver and Earl Watson, the former head coach of the Suns. Walk us through that scene, what Earl Watson told you and maybe the context with which that story is told and, and how maybe it instructs a a lot of this son's story with Robert
1: Sarver. Sure. So after a game, when Earl uh, against the golden state warriors, when Earl Earl was head coach, I want to say it was 2016, uh, the season um, early in that season, that the Warriors were going to go on to become eventual champions. As Earl recalled after the game, Robert came into the coach's office and was saying, Basically, how can Draymond Green, the Golden State Warriors forward, go up and down the court and say the N word? And kept and and in Earl's telling, Robert kept reciting the N word over and over. And Earl, as he related to me, was livid. Uh, Certainly, you have you know this is a black and Hispanic coach. You have an older white male um, owner of a team using this kind of language. And Earl said he told Robert, "You can't say that. You can't say that kind of language." And in his telling. Robert replied, What? Draymond Green says it. And then he, he apparently used the word again, according to Earl's retelling. And what I would say is, I talked to other staffers who described, again, from different points in Robert's 17 year tenure, who described Robert using language of this nature. It might have been in retelling a story that a player told and including the language uh, that the player used down to, you know, potentially including the, the N-word, um, there was an instance uh, that was relayed from a high-level executive who overheard Robert describe why the team needed to hire um, Lindsay Hunter as their head coach at one point. And he said, according to the executive who overheard it, these N-words need an N-word. Um, so yeah. And then I remember speaking to a head coach who told me that uh, uh, that this kind of, you know, hearing this from, from Robert was commonplace. Um, and, and another executive who said, uh, uh, relayed the same thing. So, yeah, this is, uh, they, in, in these interviews, they tried to establish a pattern in basically what Earl had established in that opening scene of the story.
0: Baxter, you quote one son's co-owner about Robert Sarver. The level of misogyny and racism is beyond pale. It's embarrassing as an owner. Another former Suns basketball executive tells you for this story, there's literally nothing you could tell me about him from a misogynistic or race standpoint that would surprise me. Mm. Beyond the story you tell involving Earl Watson, who is on the record uh, describing the scene to you, how much did those attitudes permeate Sarver around basketball and perhaps even throughout the organization
1: yeah this and you touch on a really good point there and and I, I wanted to back up a second uh, because the particular phrase that the executive uh, used you know there's nothing you could tell me that, that would surprise me I frankly lost count at how many times I heard that almost that exact phrase from people at various points you know they they might recall a story um, but they would say that it, it wasn't surprising to them and then they would add, you know, and and this was like stories that they witnessed, uh, uh th- yeah, that they were present for. So, yeah, that thing that thing was particularly common. But yeah, as you as you know, and and plenty of people noted this throughout the story that these attitudes and behaviors permeated the organization. A lot of people really focused on, you know, things start from the top down, and when, when it when an owner or anybody who's in a top level of leadership displays these kinds of behaviors, it, it in some ways, can drive the organization and drive the culture and enable others, you know, some others to potentially feel as if they can carry on the same way.
0: Baxter, describe the reporting you have around the decision Sarver made to hire Lindsay Hunter as the Suns head coach over Dan Marley. Marley had been You know, great former player with the Suns, had been an assistant coach. They were really the two finalists for the job. In Sarver's mind, he chose Lindsey Hunter. What was your reporting around that decision,
1: how Sarver landed on it? This this particular story was one that was brought up to me uh, from a high-level executive who overheard Robert explaining his thought process. On it. And, and I'll actually, this actually leads me to Earl Watson in a second. But the executive described hearing Robert say to somebody else, and I think I may, might have mentioned this earlier, you know, these n-words need an N-word. And a separate executive at a different point in time had described to me hearing Robert use similar language, though without the n-word, and why they needed to hire Earl Watson as a head coach, and that they needed someone who I believe that the exact quote was something to the effect of who could, who could speak these players language. And separately, these, these two stories kind of establish what others had, had said to me that there were times when race and, and the language around race uh, that Robert used made others uncomfortable and, and certainly even in front of them, such as is the anecdote involving Earl um, at the beginning of the story that they felt was was outrageous and unacceptable from anyone, but certainly the owner of an organization.
0: You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, catch the clutch hits, strikeouts, grand slams, web gems with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call one 800 Directv or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Baxter, there's a lot of reporting in your story about Sarver and Starver's management, his senior management, their behavior around female employees, the culture around women in their workplace. What were the themes and the threads you found through your reporting about the environment for women
1: through these 17 years with Robert Sarber as owner. There was, there were some very strong and obvious themes. And one of the very first ones that jumped out to me. um, And I I remember a female staffer saying this vividly, but she just said, as a woman, you feel like you have no value. I, her quote is something to that effect in the story, but not being valued feeling as if you're immaterial. Um, You know, you could, they could hear Robert talk about talking lewd ways in, in, in front of staffers, about women, or hear him address players and describe lewd things about women, and women described hearing these remarks and just feeling like they don't, they don't matter. And, and they also talked about seeing the significant amount of turnover among women at the office, kind of cycling through one after the other and, and feeling that it wasn't a place where women were protected. And there were a lot of I, you know, I, of, the, of the more than 70 interviews I did with current and former staffers, th- this was an incredibly strong theme and many departed the organization. I would say mint too. And there, a very common phrase that people recited time and again uh, was, I couldn't take it anymore. And this was a phrase that was said so often by so many people in so many different departments Over the years, departments that were nowhere near each other, people that that never worked in any capacity together, maybe never even knew each other because they were so many years apart. Maybe they were there early on after Robert took over or they were there even into this year, um, even into this month that you and I are talking right now. And that phrase, I couldn't take it anymore, was recited Uh, that if there was one particular phrase that I heard more than any other, it was that and, uh, but you, to go back to your point, I especially heard that from women, um, as they described what the workplace was like with respect to how they were treated, how they felt they were valued and just that it it wasn't a place where they were protected. There's one
0: particular anecdote in the story, Baxter, about a female employee who, Says she had been assaulted by one of her male counterparts outside of the office. Reported it, according to her, to to the sons, and what the sons' reaction to uh, her complaint was.
1: Yeah, it, uh, I was told that HR's suggestion was that we can move your desk. Uh, at the time, I was told this coworker sat next to the individual who allegedly physically assaulted her. Uh, this story became well-known in the organization as, uh, and certainly within that department, as indicative of the way women were not treated, or were not treated well, were not respected, and felt that it, it, it wasn't a conducive workplace for them to be at their best, or that they could feel supported. Um, and I would say that there was outrage amongst individuals who were aware that this was so far as they knew the only resolution to this matter and on top of that what i would add is there are different stories that people tell at different points in time of things they were that they saw in their department of things that uh uh you know became well maybe they saw it at at different staff meetings that really became touchstone moments for how they would describe this culture and this workplace and how maybe how Robert treated people or how certain members of the leadership team treated people. And I would say that this is one of those stories. It is a story that, um, you know, if you, if you would ask certain individuals, you know, what is it like working for the Phoenix Suns? This is, this is one that would rise to the surface.
0: Baxter, you detail in the story, what would happen when employees went to human resources, which ostensibly is supposed to be there to deal with these workplace issues, what often or sometimes the response was from HR when any number of these workplace violations, harassment took place?
1: Yeah, this, is, this was a man there, this was a common theme that was brought up amongst a lot of people who would describe kind of what they went through, but they also would mention in the same breath that they had no outlet, that they felt that HR was not a place where they could go and uh, formally raise complaints. Because, I mean, in some instances, employees would say, "You know, I'm, I, I, you know, Robert Sarver runs the organization. The the complaint I'd want to file is on him. How can how can anything be done? Um, it, you know, it was, it was common of staffers to say, and I heard this quite a bit too, if you have a problem, HR is the last place you go. And I spoke to different staffers who worked in HR who described knowing that that sentiment was real. And what was kind of striking to me was they would to say that they would, they would privately advise staffers, hey, let's go take a walk. Let's, let's meet outside the organization because if anyone sees you in here, Making a complaint, raising an issue, you're going to have a target on your back. And some told me that, you know, we would tell these staffers look, your complaints are real. Uh, these are various serious issues, but we are not going to, you know, the, the current culture here, the way things work, we're not going to be able to resolve them in the way that, that you would probably want or that, that maybe needs to happen. So we would advise you to sue the organization. Um, because of these things. And I was also told that uh, from, from one former HR staffer that they would advise people to sue in part because they knew that if it was ever mentioned that, you know, an employee was thinking about legal action, at the very least, they might get a settlement on their way out the door. And so this this one HR staffer described feeling that, you know, it, certain staffers didn't want to be there anymore, couldn't be there anymore, couldn't take it anymore, We're dealing with all kinds of of, of issues from that workplace, but that this was a potential avenue that at least on the way out, they could have some kind of, uh, of, of, you know, financial package that while it might not make them whole was certainly better than nothing, but yeah, it, people, the way that people describe the HR department, again, over a very long period of time was really striking. Um, and, and, I, you know, it, it just it was, again, another place where, where employees say that they did not feel safe or protected to bring about issues that um, were, were very real to them and, and very real to the culture.
0: Baxter, we, we should certainly note that there were a number of denials in this story for Robert Sarver and the Sons about the anecdotes, the stories, the allegations of many of current former employees there with the sons generally, what was Sarver's response to on the issues of race, on the issues of his attitudes toward race, his language around race and women, I think particularly women
1: in the workplace with the sons. Yeah. Categorical uh, denials of, I think the way that he's portrayed uh, in the reporting in the story, is certainly said that he, and I, I'm paraphrasing here, so I hope I get this right. That respects women, um, is is not a sexist, is not a misogynist, is not a racist. And there are certainly some others in the in the uh, organization, I believe team president, CEO Jason Rowley said something to that effect that this is not the Robert Sarver that he knows. Um and the, the Suns legal team provided, as it notes in the story, some people, some, some current staffers, largely current staffers, for us to speak to who echoed that point, uh, that this with respect to never having seen instances of racism or misogyny from him, and that that, not being, that, that, that is not who the, the, the Robert Sarver that they know, essentially.
0: In this story, it says, Sarver is known to tell staffers that he is, quote, brutal to work for a line that he has repeated throughout the years, even in job interviews. Sarver has told executives, quote, they were paid a lot of money to put up with my. How does that in your reporting and talking to, again, any number of current former employees, how has that manifested itself in what it is like to work for Robert Sarver and the Suns, both, I think, on the basketball side, in basketball operations and and outside of basketball operations,
1: yeah. Well, we could start with uh, on the basketball operations side. But one thing I wanted to note, I just brought up some of the individuals who the Suns' legal team provided for us uh, to talk to or recommended that we speak to, and they echoed, you know, demanding, hard charging, relentless. Um, I believe difficult uh, was another one. These are these are things that I think have also been written in, in numerous stories throughout the years that have tried to capture his personality and, and whatnot. But with respect to basketball operations, you know, one of the things that, that, um, and it, it's in the story that I talked to a number of people about, and they would talk about post-game beratings of the, of the coaching staff or, and, and certainly I, this, again, this has been in, in various stories over the years, um, you know, like meddling and involvement, like, you know, where's the line? How involved are you? Are you letting people do their jobs? Are you um, or are you kind of inserting yourself in such a way that you're impairing people's ability to do their jobs? But in terms of like volatile, you know, which gets to the, the, the heart of what you're um, what those particular quotes are that you mentioned in the post game. you know, after losses, you talk to coaches who would describe uh, these, these blowups in the coaches locker rooms after games um, but you would also hear about it, you know. And again, that's on the basketball on the basketball upside, But you would also hear about it from staffers on the on the business side of things. If things weren't uh, if things weren't going well, um, and there was always a big people would, would really emphasize on the financial side of things. Like you know, with where and and Robert's background is in finance as a banker. Um, but that is where, in terms of like verbal beratings. Um, you know, quick to, quick to chew people out, very demanding. Um, I remember, and it's in the story, there was one particular staffer who described to me, and I, I, think I'll, this will always stay with me, but you know, they described that, uh, like many that they couldn't take it anymore. And they left on their own accord and they recalled how Robert used to call them very late at night and he would have questions, um, it might have to do with uh, with basketball, about some aspect of the game or, or something, and that he would want an answer immediately, no matter what the question was, no matter how complicated it was, no matter how, how much research was required. And the person is no longer at the Suns. And they said, I still deal with these issues of every time the phone rings at night of hearing this demanding kind of embracing voice on the other end. Um, and it's, it's, it brings them right back. They're still dealing with PTSD from it, but yeah, certainly I've talked to staffers on both sides of both business and basketball operations who, you know, described verbal beratings from Robert and, you know, have, have used the phrase of, of hearing him refer to people as inventory. And again, feeling like you just, you know, in that if you don't like it, uh, and I think there's a, there's a quote in the story on this, that if you don't like it, there's the door or something to that effect. So yeah, this is again, and I think in your reporting over the years too, I, I, I uh, feel like some of this is reflected as well, but certainly hearing it from people who endured it day after day. And again, that's when you would hear people talk about, um, you know, having to seek professional counseling, the toll on their family members. Uh, the ways in which some staffers would confide in each other, try to lift up colleagues who they knew were going through some of these issues and were not in a good place at all, but trying to lift each other up until people left. And that was another thing, hearing you know people who left and moved on and described, um, even if it was difficult for them to, to look back on this particular chapter of their lives um, that, you know, it, 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 yeah, this is a, this is a long answer to your thing. Again, there's, there's a lot of reporting that, that speaks to this particular thing of basically dealing with Robert and his personality. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it. That's where bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.
0: Baxter, another theme in your reporting, a story that I think is upwards of 7,500 words Excruciating detail throughout this piece, the theme of property and at different levels of the Suns organization, the idea that Sarver and the culture around the Suns saw people as property. What did you find about that, discover about that in, in your reporting?
1: Yeah, this was, you know, to go back to Earl Watson. He recalled an instance where, and, it, and, and I won't flesh this out in the same detail as it is in the story. As you recalled, it's, it's 7,500 words. There's a lot there. Um, and I, I hope folks take, time, take the time to read it. But you know, he recalled an interaction where Robert had basically given him an ultimatum that, that Earl had to fire his agency, which at the time, the agency that was representing him with clutch, or else Robert was going to fire him. And as Earl recalled, there was an instance where he felt that Robert was making him beg for his job. Um, And Earl relayed to me that he, you know, that he felt in that moment that it was just like what you're saying that. um, And I believe that he recalled to Robert, I don't have the story in front of me, but just that I'm not for sale. And as as it's mentioned in other parts of the story, another part of the story, as I alluded to previously. The concept of, of, as you said, inventory, of being property, this came up a lot. Um, and one particular thing I, I think uh, that I could share here is that people would note that Robert came from a, a banking background. And certainly, you know, businesses can can look at, at at the numbers of and make difficult decisions about, you know, who they keep and who they don't keep but given the current culture and some of the things that they were they were talking about the phrase of like i am you know just a number on a spreadsheet but maybe i'm even less than that i'm just i'm furniture i'm inventory i'm property um a, you know a young female staffer recalled hearing robert say to her do i own you um as a way of uh kind of deciphering whether or not he worked for her and it's this kind of language that instilled this this feeling among staffers that it's not an environment in which, you know, we're people we're here to do a job to, to do it to the best of our abilities to feel um, like, you know, potentially like a family or, or like a group, like a team. Um, but that it, it, that it wasn't that at all. You mentioned Baxter
0: and you certainly see it throughout the story. Any number of denials from Robert Sarver or the sons, Around your reporting, there is one significant scene anecdote that Sarver did not deny, actually accepted responsibility for. Can you describe that scene with a former employee who essentially had a very embarrassing episode with the owner of the Phoenix Suns?
1: Yes, um, this <laughs> there were no shortage of stories, I would say where People would describe watching Robert say something or do something that made people uncomfortable, and this is one of those. So the team was having a an ice bucket challenge gathering in 2014. You remember for ALS, and about 60 employees were gathered outside the arena, and for reasons and and multiple, you know, there's about I was told about 60 people there, and multiple witnesses. Uh, who are present corroborated this and they couldn't understand how or why this happened. But there was an instance where Robert came up behind um, a young male employee and pulled this employee's pants down in front of everybody. And as it says in the story, this employee who I spoke with described in the moment being shell-shocked and kind of bewildered by it, uh, which I think is probably understandable. But that in the moment immediately after that, that the person who was then in charge of HR at the time asked them not to press charges for harassment or or for sexual harassment, I think. And the thing that kind of stayed with me was how this individual then said that they, over the years, have felt angrier and angrier that they didn't say anything, that they didn't speak up about it because they felt You know, certainly there's the power dynamic in the situation. You have a rank and file staffer and then you have the owner of the team who engages in this kind of behavior. And it and, and you know, so, again, the power dynamic is there. But, yeah, that's this is one of those stories that people would that that were shared in the same way of I don't understand why this happens and, and how is this conduct acceptable for an owner. And I think one of the witnesses was, you know, described that in watching it happen and they just much as the same person who experienced it was um, very taken aback.
0: Baxter, you describe a scene involving, I think scenes involving Robert Sarver talking about his wife in a work setting that I think play into this theme of, I think people said this to you, He liked to shock people. He would say things in meetings and gatherings, small gatherings. And it seemed as though larger group gatherings with employees that were either designed to shock them or ill-fated attempts at humor or sometimes just read and seemed to be just plain cruel. But there was one or two scenes that included his wife.
1: Yes, uh, one early instance, and, I, and this was uh, not too long after he came in. But staffer, multiple staffers who were present recalled him passing around a photo of his wife in a bikini for reasons of which they weren't quite sure. And it immediately felt uh, to people in the room uncomfortable. And as one person said, they were, you know, unsure. We were. I think they recalled passing it around like a hot potato. But as they said, it was one kind of an early glimpse at the man, but beyond that, yes, multiple staffers would recall hearing Robert speak about his wife in lewd ways, particularly saying to de- describing, uh, accounts of that uh, of her performing oral sex on him. Um, I think we also note in the story of him talking, um, in front of staffers about condoms that he'd wear, uh, there, it you know, in talking to women who heard that, it again it drilled home this, um, it drove home this this concept of like, well, if the owner is talking about women this way, if he's even talking about his own wife this way, how do you think that this you know makes us feel? Um, but th- it was also you know th- some of these sentiments were shared amongst male staffers as well. Just that th- that this you know there there really wasn't a limit as to what can be said or done, um, particularly if it's coming from the person at the top of the organization. Baxter, listen, a large part
0: of Robert Sarver's tenure as owner of the Suns has been unsuccessful. There was, I think, some very good teams early on when he bought the team from Jerry Colangelo and still had Steve Nash and Amari Stoudemire, and those teams are still very competitive and playoff teams in the West and then a very long drought. With lots of turnover, which you chronicle among general managers, coaches, players, and then now, as we've seen last year, you know, a remarkable season in Phoenix, where you all of a sudden do see stability in leadership. James Jones was named the league's executive of the year. Monty Williams was coach of the year, and has certainly been hailed for uh, the job he did in with a young team and bringing in Chris Paul and, and reaching the NBA Finals. That for all those years of instability, there does seem to all of a sudden now be, you know, obviously a contender in the West, a leadership that seems to have staying power. In your reporting, Baxter, did what was happening and what has happened behind the scenes away from the public view, has that been reflective of the teams as a team has gotten better here in the last couple of years? Any patterns
1: within your reporting? It's interesting that you bring this up because I think like a lot of people, seeing the Suns after this 10-year this playoff drought in which they were often at the very bottom of the league in position to have a high lottery pick, a chance at the number one pick, seemingly time and again. Um, and then, as you mentioned, going through all of the coaches and the and the general managers and certainly... One thing I wanted, to, I wanted to point out, I remember doing this early on in my reporting, but I was going through the media guides and you would see the amount of turnover reflective in all the names that disappeared year to year. And it wasn't just on the basketball side. It was actually quite striking to me how you'd see it throughout the entire organization. But to get back to your point, as the team got better, I was very interested certainly to see what the ripple effects I guess would be to the culture. And in talking to current staffers, uh, they would, I had current staffers describe how in many ways things were lower than they'd ever been and that they weren't able to enjoy the success that the team was having because of many of the same, um, uh, you know, character traits of the culture that we've been talking about that existed through the bad years are so deeply ingrained that they persist now. And some relate to me that there was this duality of seeing excitement in the city, seeing excitement around the league, that the Phoenix Suns are back, that they're going to the finals, they have a 2 0 lead, but that behind the scenes, staffers were miserable, that they couldn't enjoy this moment that for some of them they had been waiting for after all these years at the bottom of the league. And there was one particular word that I heard quite a bit on this front. And the word was bittersweet. In your reporting, what did you
0: discover about how much, if anything at all, the league office knew about this environment, about these stories that are in your, ESPN story and whether anybody or any of these employees, when they couldn't get, when they weren't able to get resolution or satisfaction from HR in Phoenix, went to perhaps may have gone to the NBA, uh, the league office to see if they could help with this environment. What did you learn about if at all that was part of the scenario?
1: I, I was not made aware of any instances. Or hearing of any instances where employees took that route, um, and so I'm not I'm not clear on how much the league office knows uh, about you know uh, whether it's the general state of the culture or specific allegations with respect to Robert or senior leadership there over the years i would say that a number of people uh, both current and former staffers relate a sentiment of feeling as though no as though they had been let down that there was failures in some former fashion that has allowed this culture to exist for 17 years and and on that point i would note there was a common thing that came up where employees who were there maybe early on and, and had moved on, but still kept in touch with people and still knew what was going on inside the organization, would express bewilderment that even after all these years, the that these types of things were still happening, things that maybe they experienced or that they uh uh, you know, witnessed themselves were still taking place many years after their departure. And that sentiment was relayed from current staffers who knew uh of, and were in touch with former staffers. Maybe they talked to them before they ever took a job in Phoenix. And they were bewildered to see that some of the things that they had maybe been warned about or or had heard were happening. Uh, to them. So again, the, the length of time, but yeah, to your point, I you know, some people feel that they've been let down, but I it's it's like what institutions have necessarily failed them. Um, and, and they themselves have these questions.
0: You quoted one current business operations employee telling you, quote, if the commissioner comes in and investigates to see what the F is going on in Phoenix, he would be appalled.
1: Yeah. Um, and, and I, I, would note here that the concept of an NBA investigation was brought up time and again by staffers in wanting to know why there wasn't one and why there hasn't been one over the years. And then they would say, I mean, 17 years, like, come on. And so that, that speaks to the failure that they felt, um, of, of whatever institutions and, and that, that, you know, that have led, led to uh, such a thing here, not being checks and balances, people not being held to account, this sort of thing being allowed to carry on season after season after season in their eyes. But yes, the concept of an NBA investigation, um, especially I would say also as other NBA investigations, whether in Dallas, whether in, with the Clippers take place, some people have have absolutely wondered, you know, why not Phoenix? Baxter, this is a remarkable
0: piece of journalism. You can read this story on ESPN.com now. This is a story, Baxter, that I am confident you'll be reporting on moving forward. There is going to certainly be reaction around the league. There's going to be certainly, I think, an impact with not just the Suns team and organization but other teams organizations and the league office thanks for taking the time to visit with this I know we'll be talking more about Robert Sarver and the Suns uh, I think in the near and and distant future
1: hey thanks so much for having me I know this is the my inaugural appearance on the Woj pod um, so I appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to, to have me on man all right sounds good thank you Baxter